Everybody, what's going on? Anthony Blackwell here with the season premiere of season four of Interviews with Everyday People. I'm very privileged. I think this is 116, 116 people I've interviewed, Bobby. Wow. And you're the you're the beginning of season four, and I'm pretty excited. Like to... I said, follow that dream, buddy. Yeah. And, well deserved. Uh, we'll, we can kind of, we'll dive in here in a second to like how we actually met and everything, but Season four, I really want to hit the ground running here. I took a big break from the show because uh, we do have multiple shows on the network, and I wanted to get those other shows to a spot where the rest of the team can help manage them, and then I can really focus on getting back to this show because this show is the reason I started podcasting. And I, I really want to get back into it and have these one-on-one -on -one connections. Uh, before we get any further, I want to thank Nikolai. Nikolai's behind the camera today. He's helping thank me you, out Nikolai. tremendously. Tremendously. I had some car issues, so I was like, I might have to cancel this, and I really didn't want to because I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. I'm very thankful you agreed to do this. Weather-related car issues? Uh, kind of. I went and got an oil change, and then I got in the car, turned it on, and it kind of had a weird startup. So I was like, I'm good. So I drove it out of the garage, got to the gas station in Frackville, went in, got a drink, came out, went to start it, nothing. Oh. So I had to call the garage, they had to come get it, so I think the battery went because it's so cold out. It kind of killed the battery. So... Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. So Nikolai drove me, loaded up the car full of all the equipment, and here we are. But we are at the Red Zone in Monty City. You've probably already seen the title of the episode, and we'll probably we'll take a cool little photo after this. But I'm here with Bobby Mushron, the owner, the OG, the 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 the, the mob boss here, the yeah. the Red Zone Sports Bar in Monty City. Hi, everybody. So. We have a, a, a very fascinating story we're going to get into. Uh, I think a lot of you know for the most part, if you're watching this and you're friends and family with Bobby, because we'll have this all shared on social media, but really you're going to tell a story for, for not just those people, but for the listeners who may not know, and you're just kind of clicking on this episode to hear what the story is about. Uh, we hope we, you can learn from this, and uh, there's going to be some deep topics here. There's going to be a lot going on. We're not, hopefully I don't get too, like, emotional here because this is this is a this is a story that could have been a different conversation i could have been interviewing somebody else about you correct essentially you know what i mean i'm blessed to be here I, I'm, I'm very blessed that you're still here like it was it was scary bud <laughs> i mean uh you don't I mean, have, you don't have, yeah. you don't have to preach to the choir yeah you friend. you were living it i was just an outside person just worried you know yes but it was it's one of those things too i think where i eventually want to get into and we'll get into it at least a little later is is uh how do you, like approaching somebody going through something like that but i think we'll get to that we'll tie that in a little later because i have okay. a few questions okay um none of this is scripted we're kind of just riffing having a conversation but uh tell us how you you came about owning the red zone in monty city we'll do a little business background here uh back in i would say around the 2011 time frame uh fred mervine and myself uh got involved in or gotten to talking to a couple different bar owners and I was highly interested in getting into the business. And with that being said, um, we, we did some uh, looking around. And then this particular building used to be my grandfather's bar back in the 40s, 50s. was called Rakowski Cafe. Okay. Uh, that being said, um, once he let it go, it had gone through about nine or ten different owners. And then the previous... Uh, owner before us, unfortunately had a tragedy where the owner passed away, I believe in a car accident. And so she, his, his wife was then selling the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to Fred, up, uh, you know, ironically at a different bar we were sitting at. 
And I said, wouldn't it be good just to check into this and see if we can make an offer, whatever. So uh, we did, and she graciously accepted our offer. Uh, we went into a partnership, an LLC partnership, and uh, in 2013, uh, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend, we, we opened up and we, uh, we started what I now consider to be a successful sports bar. Yeah, it's and, there's not many dedicated sports bars in our area, which is kind of crazy to think about. Because I mean, you can go to a bar and watch a game, but right. there's not many that have multiple t games on the screen at one time. Dedicated where to the sports. Dedicated to being a sports bar. And I, again, that was my my goal from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And to this point, uh, most of the big games were full, and we bring in the crowd, and and uh, they enjoy the atmosphere, and we're going to continue to go that way. And as we'll get into in a little bit, I'm sure. Excuse me. Uh, there were some things that came up that. You know, I kind of doubted if I'd want to carry on, but um, I'm glad I did, and and I plan on being here for quite a while. Yeah. Now, what were uh, what were some of the other names of this bar? I only know it as one well, other name. It, it was at uh, uh, one time. It was also after Rakowski Cafe, which is my grandfather. It turned eventually into Decker's Fifth Quarter. Okay, I see. I didn't know that one. Which was my aunt Nancy and Uncle Barry and their children. Mm -hmm. They owned it uh, as the Fifth Quarter. And they were pretty successful also. Uh, and then, unfortunately, my Aunt Nancy took sick, uh, along with the same time frame, a little bit after my mother took sick. And unfortunately, they passed away. Uh, the fifth quarter then went on to, uh, to sell to the folks that had it previous. But this was at one time, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the place, Pepsi Joe's. Yep. Um, and there's a couple of names that I don't recall. But I want to say that uh, it's gone through about nine, ten different name changes. The one that always sticks for me is the Silver Spoon. Silver Spoon. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Silver Spoon was right after the Decker's fifth quarter. And then I'm trying to remember what it was when uh, when uh, the previous owners to us opened it. But and that may come to me in a little bit. Yeah. But Actually, no, I do remember it. I don't remember being called Decker's fifth quarter. I just remember always saying, like, we're going to Decker's. Decker's, yes. Yeah. And that's because a lot of people will say, instead of saying... We're going to go to the Eminem Red Zone. They'll say we're going to go either to the zone or down to Bobby's place. Bobby's place. Yeah, yeah. that's what I hear a lot. And we're going to Red Zone or we're going to Bobby's. And I, I, I struggled a little bit with changing the name, but I'm glad I kept the Red Zone yeah. because it kind of it's the epitome of a sports bar, mm -hmm. you know. And we're and we we did a we did a good job with that name. I think it, it, I, it's, I, it's I agree. really oriented to the, to the sports world. What is what does the M and M's stand for? Uh, it was at the time Mushroom and Mervine, okay. or Mervine and Mushroom. Then uh, Fred, due to all his obligations, had expressed interest in getting out of the business. And then at that point, I would have to like buy him out. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it just became my sole proprietorship. Yeah. So it wasn't a partnership anymore. Yeah. And it was great when he was here. Unfortunately, he couldn't stay. Um, and him and I are still on good terms. And yeah, great guy. Great he guy. is a really good guy. Yeah, he was. He was our my my uh, my rival team's head coach in Vidi basketball for a long oh, time. Oh, he was in Vidi, and he did a great job with those kids. Yeah, I'll tell did. you that. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He, so I, I do miss him here. Although he does come in on Sundays for uh, some food and some cocktails, and so I just still get to see him anyway. Nice, awesome. So yeah, so this how long has this been open now for? Huh? The red zone has been open now for nine years. Wow, nine years! It'll that be nine quick. years in May, I should say. That went quick. It went real quick. I remember the opening weekend. 
I, unfortunately, as we'll get into my surgery, but uh, the anesthesia, I forgot a lot about the past. Really? But, but I did not forget about the opening weekend. Yeah. Because unfortunately, that was the only fine we got from the LCB because somebody went out in the porch with a with a cocktail and you weren't allowed at that time. Even though the parade was going up and down the street, you yeah. weren't allowed to leave the porch. Oh, and they I do did. And they did, and, and uh, the folks, the law enforcement was in town, and that's the only fine we've gotten in nine years. Yeah. The, I, like, this isn't like a bar where you, I don't think I've ever seen like a fist fight or anything crazy happen no, here. No, once there was a one, a pushing incident one time. It I was, was almost in a fight one time here. Yeah. And that might have been the one. <laughs> but we, No, there wasn't a push. It was just, it was an We quelled it. It was an Eagles game, and he just kept screaming down the bar at me, and I was just enjoying the game. And then Washington started making a comeback, and all I said is, "You're not, you're not, you're not being an obnoxious." You're, you're, I just kept saying, "You're that guy. You're that guy, right?" Like yes. you're a drunk Eagles fan. No one, like I'm the only guy in the, in the bar with a, red, with a Washington jersey on, and you're just like picking a fight for no reason. And then they started coming back, and he sat and slumped in his chair. And then I had a few in me, and I'm like. Where's your stupid clapping now? You know what I mean? Yeah. And he kind of got yeah. up and he came at me. And and I think uh, <laughs> I think back in that, and that was probably right after we opened. Yeah, it was it was like the first season. But it seems like our crowd, which is mainly, mainly 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds, um, and everybody's welcome, obviously, but mm -hmm. they, they have grown over the years, and you don't even have the shouting matches anymore. You yeah. Don't, you don't have anybody acting up, and it's been a pleasure. Our customers are great. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate the clientele and their dedication to coming back. Yeah. And, I mean, this place is not just a, a great place to have a beer and watch a sports, uh, a sports game or a sporting event. Um, food here, awesome. Uh, like I said, on average, and, and it fluctuates, but, you know, maybe about 200 dozen wings a week. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's a little lower. Sometimes, you know, especially like Super Bowl or New Year's Eve, it'll go a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, and with the Super Bowl coming up, we're already getting prepared. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a true sports bar menu. There's not much in the way of platters, but the uh, wings, the cheesesteaks, the pizza, the burgers, they all. Two they of all... my favorite cooks in this town are, one's in this bar and one's in the bar down the street. Yes. And, yes. and, and, Monty City is what three stoplights, four stoplights, four stoplights, and it's honestly you're, you're we're very great, like blessed in this town to have not just good spars, like good spots to go hang out, but like if you think of like some bar food in this area, this uh, Ruts, uh, McGuire's, like good places to sit I'm, and have I'm a meal. I'm telling you, the folks that own the bars in town, whether it be Trisha McNiff's, Sean at McGuire's. The citizens, folks. Oh, the citizens opened up. I haven't really had any food they, there, but that's always been a go-to place. Too. Yeah, and I and I apologize, and Ruts, and I apologize if I'm missing anywhere. Um, but every everybody's fantastic. Everybody yeah. seems to get along, and they all have good customer base. And I think Monterey City is very blessed with yeah. the bar, with the with the uh, bar and restaurant. Yeah. Thing. Uh, so we'll, we'll 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 dive in here until the the main course of this. I guess we're talking here. Um, you had some health issues. For I a did. Lot. Yeah, I did. And it started, if you want to get back to where my physical problems started, we're going back 20, 25 years when I started to develop some back issues. Um, that in turn uh, led to all kinds of medication, all kinds of uh, probably not proud of the drinking I, I took place in because trying to alleviate the pain uh, and it would be successful. Uh, but then again, the next day it didn't make a difference because mm -hmm. it was back. 
so it was a temporary band-aid. Um, I feel that uh, as time went on and I combined the pain medication with the alcohol and most importantly the lack of, of food intake, um, I developed some liver issues. The liver issues got so bad that I got cirrhosis um, and like you and I talked before previous to the show starting is I really never put myself in an alcoholic frame. I did think I had a drinking problem. I did attend some alcohol anonymous meetings. Uh, it opened my eyes a little bit, but the worst thing about it was my anxiety attacks, which were not helped by my drinking. And uh, medication seemed to quell that a little bit, but at the same token, medication was hurting my liver also. Yeah. So as I started to build up with fluid about three years ago, um, I went to, to a couple doctors, they did some uh, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, whatever you want to call it, and they uncovered that there was a fatty liver, which had turned in cirrhosis, uh, and I was starting to build up a fluid, but previous to that, I was down to 112 pounds, and I looked real frail, and frankly, um, I'm lucky to be sitting here right now. That being said, I would go down to Pottsville and get the fluid tapped, uh, it used to be every two weeks, then every week, then it became every five days, and all the same time they're still getting seven liters of fluid out of me. So that up led until me, to, up until at, up until I surgery. Okay. Right up until surgery. Wow. Um, my last couple, well, actually, ironically, we we got list, You can get listed at two different places for a transplant. We went to Hershey first for about a year or so. We waited. Nothing was really happening. Um, on an emergency visit to Hershey uh, for my liver problems, they did shoot a dye into me that contributed to knocking down both of my kidneys, totally out. So medication was not bringing them back, time was not bringing them back. I, uh, I was then listed, I just, we then listed to Johns Hopkins, which uh, was probably the best move we made because it was a month later they called us down for a meeting. Uh, we had a successful meeting, they expected to see a real frail older gentleman. Uh, fortunately, at that time, I was getting my appetite. Appetite never actually went away, but I was gaining the weight back, a lot of it because of the fluid, but I looked a little bit healthier. They were thrilled with that. They knew my physical condition can handle the transplant. So um, with that said, a couple weeks later after that meeting, I was getting drained down in Pottsville, and I got a phone call. Uh, my wife said, stop the draining process the doctors agreed to stop it we went down she came down for me and three hours later i was at johns hopkins in baltimore and surgery began and three days later i finally woke up they had replaced the liver the kidney they took out the gallbladder the appendix and a hernia wow and and a hernia and a hernia you had a full tune-up i had a full the, the hernia unfortunately was right in the belly button area and it was getting so big and so ugly um, that I really could not wait for that. I mean, that thing became a burden on me and yeah. probably contributed to my back problems because I was overcompensating my back with trying to hold myself up while the load of the fluid was weighing me down. And uh, when you have, not, nine times out of ten, when you have really bad back problems, yes, it a lot of it has to do with your core. Absolutely. So if your core is in rough shape and now on top of it, you know, obviously we're not, we're not athletes anymore. <laughs> you know, we're not walking around with six packs. Those days are over. Uh, but when you have a hernia and it's sitting in your core and it's causing you so much pain, 
your core is now compensating for the hernia, which is going to cause more problems in your lower back. And ergo, that's why after surgery, the physical therapy really concentrated on the core. Yeah. And the core, you know, I re literally, literally had to learn to walk and to talk. Uh, getting upstairs was impossible for the first three weeks after surgery. Um, all in all, though, I'm very fortunate because even the doctors down at Johns Hopkins, who are the, probably the best in the country, uh, had said to me that, you know, you're ahead of your schedule. And uh, to this day, knock on wood, I feel like I'm going to be able to uh, get stronger every day, which I am. Now I'm able to drive again. And and now I'm able to go up steps without even holding the rails, but I still do because I've been clumsy all my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other than that, I feel great. Little tightness where the 70 staples were, and uh, the scars will remain, but the pain will slip away. Yeah. Now there's a lot to unpack there. We're probably going to dive in and out of that past story a little bit. Um, when you go in a situation like that, yes. Mentally, like, all right, well, let's, let's go back to kind of the little beginning. When did you realize, like, okay, I not just it's not just body pain. There's something else going on here where I'm not feeling 100 percent that I should get I should go get checked out. Very fatigued. Uh, probably the main thing was the fatigue. The back pain was always there, so I never really considered that to be a problem with my liver. Yeah, I thought that was just when my you're always when pain. your body's always in pain, and I can I'm, I can relate to you on this just because I have severe body pain with my disorder. Mm -hmm. When you're in just severe pain, everything else just kind of like your focus goes like, oh, I'm just tired all the time. I'm tired all the time because my body, I always shocked it up to my adrenaline's always high because if you're in pain, your adrenaline goes up. And then Indeed. when your adrenaline wears, you're like, I'm just tired now. You know what I mean? And that's, again, I would sleep like a baby, but um, it, it's still, you wake up and you have the same problem. Yeah. And uh, again, the pain medicine wasn't doing me any good. Yeah. I, I I would get so fr I still don't go to doctors as much as I probably should, but I would I would hate going to them because I'd walk in and be like, all right, we're gonna write you a script for Vicodin perks, whatever it is, just for your pain. And I was just like, I don't want these. Like, yeah, and and, I, and, and I know it's gonna cause a problem, but with and then you finally break down. You're like for me anyway. I would break down. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna take them. And then you take one, and then you're still kind of social, but then you have that beer, and you're like, wait, these work way better with a beer <laughs> uh, oh yeah they are they absolutely it is, it is really in, intensified alcohol really intensifies the the pain medicine effect on the body and and and, and the mind yeah and and that's part like the i i forgot to mention with the liver um when the liver starts going bad fatty and then cirrhosis uh what happens is your ammonia level inside goes sky high and you go into states of confusion. Literally, I would stand in the kitchen, call my wife by my brother's name. I'd be upstairs, whether it be shower or bathroom, whatever. And I'd say, I'm down in the kitchen doing dishes when she would yell for me. And then I would lose total awareness of where I was. I, I was in my own house, um, but I was totally, again, the ammonia level. And then they give you this medication to control that, which is a liquid called lactulose. And its taste was awful awful and it's one of the things I'm grateful for now I never have to take that anymore when, when you're having those moments of confusion and you're you're working in a bar and obviously people see you with a drink because you're at the time you're having your drink and you're, you're taking your pain medication where people chalking it up as just oh he's just maybe maybe, maybe and I, when you're at home Cassie's obviously you're not there all the time in that condition so she's starting to catch on to things ironically um, when I was here uh, the confusion now understand this is three years ago and 
the confusion wasn't really kicking into high gear just yet. So once I started taking sick, that's when it started. And at that point, I'd started to not come down here as often because of my condition. I was getting very weak mm -hmm. uh, to a point where I didn't think I was going to make it. And uh, so I stayed home. Yeah. And, and, and with, with the advent of COVID, it was a good thing because all I needed to do at that time was catch this in the last couple of years and we'd also have a different outcome just from the COVID. Yeah. So I have to be, you know, aware of that. And I think this is literally the first time face to face seeing you. And I'd say at least two, three years, if not longer. Yes. It's, it, 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 it was, it was hard not to like, I assume we came in, I had to give you a hug, man. Cause like, I miss you, man. Like this is, this was a spot. Like I, I, I wanted to support the business, but it was hard to come in here and not, have you here it was it, as a customer and as a friend and, and, and that's why you know i really appreciate the folks that you know came in when i was either hospitalized or just staying at home because i had to mm -hmm. and uh folks like yourself who are always good customers just continued to come back in and even though i'd feel guilty not being here i knew no, it was well, for my have, best but it was yeah. just well also for me too i didn't really make it a point to go to bars a lot because mm -hmm. just from like we were supposed to go to a Notre Dame game together. Yes. And and it was it was it was heartbreaking that not only you were going through what you were going through and your your body pain was as high as it was and if, this is even before you even knew about the other stuff. Right. Because I, I was just like, man, if I'm going to experience Notre Dame game, like it's going to be awesome to experience my first. Because that would that would have been is that your would have been your first? You yes, yeah, so it would have been my. Still, I haven't gone there. Yeah, yet. that would have been like all of us our first time in South Bend, and I was just like heartbroken you know what i mean and i was just like man this sucks and then like as, shortly after that is when it, it really like went down like, life truly was put on hold yeah um and it was until i came out of surgery and then unfortunately like i told you uh when you come out of surgery after having 20 some hours of anesthesia c consistently and a surgery that went into almost three days um it it does affect your memory now it will come back the things I have forgotten will come back, and I did not forget everything. Yeah. But I do recall the conversation about Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I do recall how badly I needed to get out there because I knew my time wasn't long on Earth if I was healthy. Yeah. You know, being in, you know sixty or at the time fifty-eight. Uh, but and feeling the way you were feeling. And feeling the way I was feeling, absolutely. And and you know, you, you think you're invincible when you're in your fifties. It, it can't happen to me. And when it when I got the diagnosis is when it became a, re, a realistic approach to mortality. Yeah. You know, I didn't I I was afraid of dying, but yet knowing that I mainly brought it on myself, uh, I, I I developed this strong will to live, mm -hmm. and I think that with the prayers from everybody and the support, my wife Cassie has been great through the whole She's time. She's a superstar. She is a rock star. She literally, along with the, my donor which we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on, uh, saved my life. Yeah. You know, and, and of course, the medical team. Yeah. Um, now, another thing that I can, I just know from personal experience, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. I know, like, a lot, I'm not trying to make it about me, but I'm, I, that's the way I conversate is I try to put myself in that person's well, shoes. Certainly. But, like, when I was doing the pill, like, the pills with the drinking to coincide with my body pain, like you were saying before, at the time, you're social, and that's your only, like, we're both social people, so having a beer and then not feeling that body pain and then being able to be social and have a good time. And then you kind of, that can get, you're not really like you're crutching on the alcohol for that reason, but it does help you intensify your social drinking status. You know Absolutely. What I mean? like, 
and then you wake up the next day, and then you, know, you said you feel like ten times worse at your body pain. I mean, on top of it, a headache, headache, and then your <laughs> like depression was tough. Absolutely, anxiety out the butt. Yeah, and and I, again, I had to take medication for that, but now, now they stopped that. What? Now I can just the next day waking up with the depression and the anxiety, and then now you come to face what you're like. Where you're like, all right, listen, you, you, you're literally at the mercy of a donor, and and at this point, like, how? What was your mind state, and like, was it was it difficult to stay positive, or were, like, where did you fluctuate between? At like the cliche says, Anthony, um, the waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, and it really was because. I, even though I wasn't feeling that bad after I was diagnosed and started, and I kept eating and I started to get my tapping done, and uh, I, I knew this could have a bad outcome. So I, I prayed, and with all the prayers from everybody, um, it, it kept me going daily. You know, I got up and I thought, you know, I can't leave my family, I can't leave my pets, I can't leave, you know, my, my customers. I got to fight on, mm -hmm. and and. Even when I was laying in the hospital, post-surgery, uh, it's like, you know, you don't think you're going to make it because you feel, you don't even feel like you're resisting. Yeah. And, and then you eventually, slowly, every day, you wake up, you get better, you do physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. It's an ongoing process. I was in the hospital for three and a half weeks, uh, the first one in ICU, and the next two uh, basically in a regular bed, but going through all kinds of therapy every day. And then you had this realization that I might be the luckiest guy in the world. And then, then you think about the donor and guilt comes back again because mm -hmm. somebody in their twenties had to pass away for me to, to stay alive. Yeah. And, uh, we wrote to the family, um, have not heard back yet. And we cannot, obviously we don't get a phone number. We don't get an address. We write to them. It's, uh, anonymous until they write back and if they want to share that information with me then I can call them take a trip to see them I don't know where they're from I just know that they were, he was in his he or she was in their 20s and died a tragic way really yes but their organs the, or, the organs were so perfect that the folks at Johns Hopkins who do thousands of these you know have done tens of thousands of these transplants were so excited for me to get down there because it matched my blood type, it matched all the attributes of a liver and a kidney, uh, that uh, that they they were dancing when I finally got into surgery because they were they were so sure that this was going to work. Yeah. Now, uh, with obviously friends and family, I know there was a lot of people who were who were going that route of are they compatible? Are they not compatible? Yes. Uh, what is what is the mental of that like with, with friends and family when you go and you're like oh, I don't match, like I can't like. There, and fortunately, uh, there wasn't a lot of that. Now, my wife did go get tested. Uh, she became, and only 10% of the folks who, match, who, who get tested will match your exact liver type. So she somehow got in that 10% and she was a match for me. She would have to give up part of her liver. Um, and we were on that path right when the phone call came that the, the liver and kidney became available because she and was... And you needed both. You couldn't do one I, or the I, other. They, you, you, could, you have to get both. You don't necessarily have to get them replaced at the same time. But it'll help. It'll help a big, big, big time because the surgery itself, you know, lasted 20-some hours. But the, if you're in there, instead of cutting you open again, which is only going to put a taxing again on the body... And then you can get... And, and the infection, infections, right. that's the reason why they wanted to do it at the same time. 
Hershey didn't want to do it at the same time. They would do liver and then kidney, but they wouldn't do my wife's liver if, if it came down to that. They would want a, a person who passed away. Um, so she was ready to go. Um, gladly we didn't have to use her, but then again, sadly, we had to do it with the passing of, a, of our donor. Yeah. Well, in a sports terms, where, where were you at time clockwise if, if this donor doesn't come in? Two-minute warning. Really? Yeah, I, that's the only way I can explain it because um, even though I would have I gotten down the field somehow and kicked the field goal or something, but it was a two-minute warning, and you know a lot of people will say, well, I had 10 seconds left. No, because I still felt that fight in me. I didn't feel like I was I was not going to make it. That's that's a that's a testament to you, man. Because like all those obstacles and 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 going through and then just seeing yourself like like you said, you see the photo of yourself at the at the at the Elks, and it it will it, it I think a lot of people like seeing the photo and seeing because that was like the first time you really were out in public in a while. Correct. And it, it was just like I a lot of people not not wrote you off, but it was like I think it really hit people like. We might lose you. You know what I mean? Like, because we're not physically seeing you because you disappeared. I'm telling you, I did not see myself that way until I saw the picture. Yeah. I mean, I felt very weak. Uh, I I knew I didn't look great, but yet when I was getting dressed that night, um, you know, to me, getting Citizen of the Year was very important, and I wanted to be there. And and when I got there, and I can just see the look on folks' faces, they uh, they they were concerned, and I didn't take it that way. I knew I couldn't get up and speak, and I had my wife kind of speak for me. But as I left there, I left with a sadness saying, hey, I really couldn't express my you know, thanks to everybody who was a part of this. But by the same token, um, it, was a, it was a great honor. Uh, I thank the people at the Elks. And um, I, it, would, it was an eye-opener, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I seen the photo, and it, it didn't hit me right away that it was you. It, I had to. It didn't hit me right away. Yeah, me. I was like, and then, and then, it, it like, did I like? I shed a tear, man. I was, I was, I was, it was like, I was heartbreaking, like, like, because it was like, holy crap, like, where was your weight? I'm not, <laughs> not a Weight Watchers plan here, but where was your active weight before you got, before sick, I got sick? And then one sixty-five that night, one sixty-five, one sixty-five, and that night I was one twelve. One twelve. Before surgery, I went back up to one forty-ish, because my appetite. Through all the three years and through uh, the surgery, even post-surgery, never changed. Yeah. But I wasn't allowed to have salt. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to have so much of this. Well, there was a time here, even just being at the bar, we would like be like, Bobby, sit and eat, and you wouldn't. That's and, and that was a big downfall. And that's a big thing too, especially when you're, if if you do, or if you are having issues with pain pills and 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 coinciding it with alcohol or even just alcohol in general. If you if you drink on an empty stomach, your body has nothing else to process except pure booze. And the liver does it all. Yep. People don't understand that the liver carries 500 different functions in your body. Yeah. And that's a that's a lot. Yeah. And and if you lose that liver, now mine wasn't 100% gone. It was about 90, and it would it would it would work just enough to get me through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fear was not waking up someday. Yeah. And when I did. A lot of those days were just working so hard, not only to walk and talk and all this stuff, but blood work, so much blood work. To this day, every Monday, Monday morning, I'm down at St. Luke's and I'm getting blood work and I'm getting a test back on Monday night, Tuesday, 
and I'm looking at those numbers and hoping the transplant team doesn't call and say, hey, you know, you might be going into rejection. Now, rejection is often misconstrued because people think when it's rejection, oh my God, the liver is going to die. He's going to have to go back in the hospital. Not necessarily so. They adjust the medications, the anti-rejection medications, which I'll be on the rest of my life, get adjusted to where it'll fight off any infection or any kind of rejection that's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm at 36 pills a day, uh, taken at 12 pill increments. Um, 36. So what, what running back was that for the Eagles? Uh, Brian, Rest Brian Westbrook. Westbrook. There you go. <laughs> 36. I'm Brian Westbrook pilled out. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, most of them will eventually go away. Uh, but being that I'm only four months post-transplant, uh, I probably got another six months looking forward to. But the random rejections will go for the rest of my where, life. Where, now, how you're still saying that there is possibilities where your body just says, okay, not really, like, it wakes it kind of like, this isn't supposed to be here, it's not mine type deal. Is there an even higher window when you first get it? Like Yes, the they really watch the rejection for the first three months, big time. Three months. Uh, then they'll do another three-month increment. After six months, they, they as long as the numbers still look good, and mine, I mean, fortunately, mine are looking good every week, and sometimes yeah. even better every week. But I got to watch the diet, and I got to, but if they see any signs of it going into rejection, they adjust the medication, they may even have to put you in the hospital for a couple of days just for some IVs or whatever, but uh, they, they're on top of it. The team never stops looking at your numbers, probably for the rest of your life. Yeah. And as soon as they see something that's not matching where it should be, they call us up. They say, hey, you got to add this. You got to take this away. My white blood count went down a couple of weeks ago. Not to a dangerous level, but yet it would open me up for more infections. So they took away one of the medications, which it then raised the white blood count. But unfortunately, the, uh, the anti-rejection medication wasn't working as well. So they had to put me back on. But all kinds of physical issues, Anthony. It was, uh, um, you, I just didn't know from day to day what I'd have to be doing, whether running to the bathroom, not being able to walk to get a shower, this and that. And then you had to rely on other folks. And it was really a, a guilt feeling. Absolutely. I, I mean... Growing up as a as a as a male in Schuylkill County, you're taught be tough, be tough, hide your emotions. You hear that in from your your, your parents, yeah, your grandparents. You know, don't cry. Yeah, don't know? cry and and don't do it yourself. Be a man. Yes. And then when you're at the rely on other people to help you wash and bathe, and you're like, I'm, I'm a 50 year old man. I shouldn't be asking for this yet. Like, yes. I, I can definitely see how that could be taxing. That's why I said, man, for you to stay positive and not throw the towel in, like, not many people would do that, man. Seriously, it, it, I've heard some horror stories, and I'm glad I, I, I got strong enough. My faith, my support, you know, whether it be my wife who was outstanding, or even my family, my closest friends, daily they would check on me, run me, uh, the folks who ran me to appointments, too many to even mention, just those little things yeah. that, that kept me going. The, the folks at dialysis at Davida up in Fractal, three, three days a week for three hours a trip, they, they would get my kidneys just to clean out everything to make them generate just enough to stay alive. Yeah, and, and this is what I wanted to touch, to touch on at the beginning. Like, I, I didn't reach out, and I feel horrible for doing that. But, like, I also didn't, like, I feel like just the way my brain would work is, like, you're already going through it, and, and the last That's thing you want to do is unusual. talk about it. So, like, and, and all and I'm going to really do is, is ask questions, and I don't want to make you go through that and explain. Because it's not that I need to know, but what else, like, how else would I, like, 
It's the elephant in the room, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, don't feel like, yeah. you know, you're not alone in there because most people feel the way you did. Don't, we don't want to bother him. Yeah. Even family members, we don't want to bother him. Um, I appreciate the company. My dad would come over just about every second night, sit with me and watch the games. And that, that in itself was just an uplifter because when you're sitting on the couch 24-7, you can't be at your business. Um, you're, you should have stock in ESPN at the time. Because that's all I did. Just watch sports. Yeah, just watch sports and and then uh, go up to bed. You know, now I go to bed at nine ten o'clock. Where nine ten o'clock was just the start for me back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, again, all the support kept me going. What was it like to come back into the bar, sit at your bar, and watch a sports game? It in felt your business? it felt fantastic, and not to even and to not have the 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 uh, feeling that I had to have a drink. And just that you were in this atmosphere. Yeah, I am since like two Christmases ago. I'm I'm sober, no drinking for the last two years and a couple of weeks. And uh, truly, I don't really miss it. Um, I miss the camaraderie and the laughs that went along with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's so I, like, as someone who cut back myself, like I'll have like one and I'm just like, I'm good. I don't need to do this. Like, yeah. it's just not because like you said, like. When you when you finally wake up the next day and you're like this this is this is this part that sucks is the waking up the next day with the hangover and that and feeling like garbage it's just like yeah I'm I'm good I could just I just come here hang out watch the game and leave you know what I mean yes. like yes order go into a bar order some food maybe get a soda and then just, and then head out you know what I mean and that's like I said you you mentioned coming in here this place wouldn't be here anymore because I was and as as probably most people know we were close to selling mm -hmm. uh, when my health deteriorated. Um, we had actually signed some papers, and then then we were fortunately uh, the folks that were going to buy it like, worked with us and agreed to let us. And once I got started getting healthier, agreed to let us keep it, and and here we are because uh, really uh, this was my dream, yeah. And I didn't want to give up on my dream, but yet I knew my health came first, yeah. And my my wife was instrumental in us keeping it because. Uh, she was a little worried that the clientele that was not only employees who we didn't want to be without work, but the clientele that was coming in still had a nice place to go. Yeah. And, and so that's where we, that's why we're still here. I, I know I, I would come in every now and then, but I would just kind of come in and get food. Yeah. Cause like I said, it was, it was mentally, it's tough to come into a bar and, and not want to drink because you yeah. know that the owner, like, just got his, his his kidney and liver replaced. It's like the last thing I would do is kind of like be reminded that alcohol is probably not the best thing in a bar yeah. sometimes. So it's just like, but but honestly, like one of the greatest parts about being here is you have one of the best cooks in town, and your food's fantastic. You know and, what I mean? And everybody it, knows I call her Aunt Ray, and you yeah, know, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, you know, um, we did have Alex Dukas here, who was sensational in oh, his yeah. own right, as you know. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, with other things, he had to leave, and we got Aunt Ray. Luckily. Yep. And uh, my sister-in-law and ha has done a wonderful job with um, bartending. bartending. Down. My brother and my and my other sister-in-law work here also, and they're big helps. And then there's Alicia, um, and Nikki, who comes in usually works on Sundays. Carly, who helps, and Brittany in the kitchen, and uh, and Susie's son helps. So we we have a good core. Yeah. That keeps us going. What were some like goals or things you would do mentally when you were at some of your lower times going through the recovery post-surgery, I mean, yeah, post-surgery to kind of keep yourself like in that fight. 
the fight to stay alive or the fight for the business? The fight to recover and get back to uh, just seeing your first game here. You uh, know what I mean? I, I think I think the driving force was the customer base and the friends I made and wanting to keep a good place and also um, knowing that if I stayed active, you know, I'm going to stay alive. Yeah. Because if you continue to sit and not move and not do anything, not only does depression set in, but it's like, you know, you lose any enjoyment for life. A positive mindset can go a long way. Absolutely. And I know it's really strange. I know I'm going to say this because I don't understand what's happening, but not only did the memory seem to go away, but in my mind, I remember my 30s, 40s, my 20s even, but I seem to have lost a whole decade there. And I don't know if it was part of the liver disease, but I don't remember a whole lot about my, in my 50s. Um, which makes me think, you know, here I am, 60, and and not not feeling like I lived a full life, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So now I have that drive, and along with that, I'm in training to uh, to speak to schools, students, uh, mainly high school and above, or groups, about the importance of donation and, and tying into it how alcohol and, uh, ties into having liver issues, and I'm training to get that done. Yeah. So that would be very rewarding for me to, you know, it's very cliche, like I said before, to, oh, if it only helps, if it helps only one person, no, I want to help thousands of people. What was your stance on, like, organ donating before all this? Uh, I was an organ donor from day one. It's been on my driver's license. I think it's uh, the greatest gift you can give. If, if something were to happen to you, or you can be a living donor also. Yeah. There are a lot of folks out there who give up a kidney when they're perfectly healthy. And, and yes, you can live with one kidney. As a matter of fact, I have one now and the two bad ones are still inside me. Oh, really? Yeah, they did not take those out. Wow. Um, and I still haven't gotten a reason why, but for some reason it was less taxing on the body. Yeah. Now, the your liver, body's not looking for them. Yes. Yeah. Your body's not even thinking they're there. Yeah. They're just sitting in my body and they're not attached to anything. Interesting. Medicine is, modern medicine is crazy. I thought about that in the hospital. I'm thinking, how are they going to cut me open and on the way down to even get into surgery? I'm thinking they're going to cut me open, put somebody else's parts in me, and hopefully I'm going to wake up. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not diving down this political rabbit hole or where we are now with, a, with like, where we don't trust vaccines and stuff, but like literally we're talking about the same medical profession and the same doctors and scientists who can take a body part and put it in somebody else. You know what I mean? Like you gotta trust science sometimes, man. You gotta. You and, and nobody understands how much those body parts are scrutinized before they're put into another person. Yeah. This person, unfortunately, when he or she passed away, had, had active Lyme disease which I, they had asked me if that was okay. And I said, that's perfectly fine because they treated that after surgery and pretty much eliminated it yeah. somehow or another. But that's what makes the medical field so special. And then uh, I was tested every week for a certain virus that he was positive for before do organ donation. And I was negative. Yeah. But when they put it in me, I was negative at the beginning. And then the last two weeks, the virus became active, not dangerously active, but active. So now they have medication for an antibiotic. What would you, do you know what the virus is It's like? called CMV. What, what is that? Um, boy, cytochlamivir virus. I really don't remember. The, what does it this. do? It's like a mononucleosis. But it's not contagious. 
and is active in 50% of all people across the country. Unfortunately for me, because of my weakened immune system, it became more than just active. It became a level where it was a little more dangerous, where I'm more open to infection. Okay. So now that they put me on the antibiotic, it'll go back down. And it's very common in liver recipients to have this virus become not dangerously because it's not going to it's not going to kill you. Yeah. But it is it is something that will can open you up Here, to infection. Here's and that's the importance of, of vaccination because if I were to get COVID, it's a whole different world. Yeah. Are you eligible for any of that? I did. Oh, I was. I got all three before the surgery, and Johns Hopkins was thrilled with that yeah. because you can't get any kind of vaccines after after surgery for six months. Yeah. Now, the 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 statistical chance of finding a perfect donor. Now you're also talking about someone. You're talking about a, an organ that still had had Lyme, possible Lyme disease or had Lyme disease, yes. and then this other virus, virus, CMV virus, yeah. and the doctors are still excited because every other niche matched, matched perfectly. perfectly. So it wasn't even like still the perfect donor, but it was perfect for your circumstances. So Correct. to put that in perspective, for people listening or watching this, like even then, like the the statistical chances of finding that perfect donor. Is so so small, but they still like, like, it's it's a mir- it's literally a miracle. Like, I, and, and being an organ donor, that you're you're helping somebody so much, and like, it's just crazy. Like how you said, you were in the two minute warning, and a hail mary from the sixty yard line. And I was at literally <laughs> saying hail marys. Yeah. Um. And and the pharmacist at Monterey City reminds me every time I go in, and I go in quite often, obviously, uh, that I'm a walking miracle. Yeah. And, and I'm so grateful to to God and I'm so grateful to all the support and my friends I mean it's just I couldn't do this alone I'm, I'm happy we're having this conversation man it, I feel it means a I, lot it, it's a lot for me to get it out there let other people realize how important organ donation is and uh, it's not for everyone understood mm-hmm. just like the vaccination is not for everyone and uh, and so be it I just chose not to roll the dice and that was before I had surgery yeah yeah so and here I am thank God yeah Awesome. Is there anything else that we didn't c- touch on that you want to talk about? Uh, as far as that goes, I think, I think we we covered most of it. Yeah. I mean, other than it's an ongoing life process for me now, and I've accepted that, and I wake up every day, and I I'm grateful for it, you know, and and uh, I don't take anything for granted anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you learn a whole new way of thinking, uh, and 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 a whole new faith. Uh, yeah. it's just it's just something I want to work help other people who may be in this situation understand that you know you're never written off until you write yourself off yeah yeah that's it's it's now i guess my last question here and i don't want to put a negative spin on this i hope it doesn't come off that way but like when you're at a bar now and you're like i mean you really haven't come back like and worked a full shift or anything like you used to in the past but anything like is it is it going to be different being here and seeing someone who's maybe at their limit of their drinking this like is it going to be mentally like like cut that person off or like hey relax calm down like I don't think any of that from previous years is going to change inside me because everybody has their the way they feel yeah. about things and but again somebody has a limit everybody has a limit yeah and if somebody's not acting right whatever you want to call it uh, we obviously have to cut them off per se mm-hmm. um, but I will think of it when I look at folks. Especially the ones that I'm... Because you have a different perspective on it now. I have a whole different perspective. Yeah. I'm never going to say, um, you know, don't drink yeah. you know, or you'll end up in my shoes. Because that's not true. 
and yeah. you can't tell someone not to do something because people just lean into it heavy. But 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 it, I mean, there, there was a group of us that would come here and have and have out drinks, and some of us drank more than others, and some people like you know what I mean. But it's just like how much of your how much of those people do you think like look at the situation now? And I know me personally, I I've done that. You know I've had I mean? I've had several yeah. people. Not only am I have I gotten more hugs in the last several months than I had in my whole life combined. Yeah. But I've had several people come to me and say, "Hey, you opened my eyes." Yeah. Um, and even if my li- and there isn't such a thing as non-alcoholic liver disease, mm-hmm. uh, you can get cirrhosis without drinking. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Mine. There's no excuses. I, I did it to myself. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, God gave me a second chance and I'm going to run with it. Yeah. And, it's, and, and uh, I, I do, I don't preach it on anybody and I never will because I want them to make their own decisions. But yet if I can sometimes just grab somebody and go like this, Hey, did you not get anything from what happened to me? Yeah. I would love to do that, but I won't do it. Yeah. I, I think the way I want to, I want to wrap this up and end it is where I think the, not just the biggest eye opener for yourself and your friends and your family. Um, I'm always about, I, I like the term of giving people their roses yeah. while they're still here. Right? Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest ways you could, you got your rose, especially in, in a small community is winning that citizens of the year award because you're being honored by your community of being a good person, which you, which you are. Thank you. And you've done a lot of great things, whether it be the, the local business or just helping other people or, or, you know, doing stuff with the local sports and helping people. And, and you weren't able to accept it. And is there anything that you didn't get out that night that, like, given the opportunity right now, you would say, you would, you want to say? Like, um, I, I, I do obviously want to apologize to the folks at the Elks because graciously they bestowed that on me. And I was not in a frame where I could, you know, speak to, to why we do what we do here with donations, uh, with just just treating customers the way customers want to be treated. I mean, there's a whole list of things that, you know, I'd like to say, hey, you know, I, I was brought up the right way and I want to continue that tradition of, of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, sometimes think people think we go overboard with asking for money or, or clothes or something like that. But, you know, they don't have to donate, but when they do, it's the, one of the most rewarding feelings that you can have just helping others and, yeah. what, and it could be just the animals down at the SPCA could, well, anything, anything. Your, your local artist your local business like any like literally I always tell people like like you can go on a, a, a GoFundMe and do five dollars and you're in your mind you're like oh that's you know it's only five dollars maybe I can do more oh it's only five dollars what is that gonna make a difference if like, most, most difference. people on your Facebook friends list I'll just break it down on social media you have like a thousand friends, and that's not an unrealistic thing to think of. Or eight hundred or five hundred friends. Mm-hmm. Five hundred people do five dollars each. Look at think about that. You can change a life with that kind of money. And I want to be. I want to say first of all, when the benefit they held here for myself, uh, the folks that came here, well, it was outstanding. Yeah. But just the GoFundMe page, that was you know started by my family, and and you know between my niece Allie and and Paula and whatever they all combined to make this benefit happen including you know my brother and and eric um along with cassie's family it, it was just so rewarding to have so many people here and give them a realization of the organ donation and then the contributions to our financial help because you know i can share that the surgery although mostly covered most of the insurance coverage was close to a million dollars if not a little bit more 
and that's not including. You're a million dollar the, man. Uh, well, yeah, and I, and I got the, the liver and the kidney to prove that. You'll be fighting bears in no time. I mean, there's still no money in the checking account, but I am a million dollar man, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for you guys being here today, so I can Listen, share. Listen, I'm, I'm grateful that we can sit and have this conversation. Yeah, and uh, I hope somebody gets something out of it, and that makes it a success. Awesome. Uh, we'll get the shameless stuff here at the end. I wanted to put it at the end and not the beginning. I usually just put it at the beginning, but if, if you are listening and you enjoy this, please share uh, social media. Uh, we're on YouTube, Facebook. If you, uh, we have, we're on all audio platforms, so you can just search interviews with everyday people. Like I said, we've had a whole bunch of back content. We've grown a lot in four years. I wanna, I'm really, really excited for the season four. I have a lot of really cool things planned, whether between people's stories, local business people, uh, people who have done some pretty cool things. I, I think I'm closer to my bucket list interview uh, which you've seen online, who, yes, I did. And, and, and I would really love for that to come to fruition because I think there's so many cool stories in this area. Um, this whole podcast started interviewing my grandmother because I only have one grandparent left. And mm -hmm. I can go back and look at that in 10, 15 years when she may not be here. And I have that forever. Absolutely. These stories are important. You know what I mean? And it's it's cool to that everyday people have an opportunity to tell their story. So and you, I'm telling you, and another thing, people do not take life for granted. Yeah. It can change in an instant. Yeah. And you will face a whole different future if you're fortunate enough to face that future. Yeah. So if you if you would like to be on the show, uh, hit, hit our link tree up. There's a, a tab there that says uh, if you want to be a guest, you fill out a quick form just so I can get in contact with you. And I have a little bit of a bio of what we're going to talk about. But there's a lot of cool stuff coming up this season. I only try to do like one a, a week. But if people are willing to talk more, I have the free time now. I want to get as many as I've done as I can. Uh, we do have merchandise. If you want a t-shirt, a sticker, a banner, we do have a merch page. Uh, d uh, d Patreon donations, I'm not going to go through all the names. I'll get it on the next one. But there's so many people who donate, and that helps pay the bills because we have like a streaming service and video editing software. So thank you to people who donated on Patreon. Uh, I'm excited for this new season. I'm very, very happy to start off with you, Bobby. I'm very happy to uh, see you pleasure. for the first time in years and, and get that hug, man. That meant a lot. Uh, it meant more to me, probably, yeah. because uh, I was at a point where I wasn't sure I was going to get hugs anymore. Yeah. So. Well, I love you, man. Uh, love you, and, too. And, and thank you so much to the, everyone who has been in his corner, his friends, his family. You're, the most runs are rock stars, man. Between your thank wife you. and Cassie and her family, all of you are absolute rock stars. Support your local business. Support your local arts. Uh, you, like we said before, a small, a small thing of gratitude can go a very, very long way in someone's life. And uh, keep that in mind. It, uh, it goes a long way. Uh, Sharing something on social media, saying, hey, we're doing a benefit for somebody, even if you can't attend it. If you just click interested, your friends will see it. Like, you know what I mean? You're opening the door for more people to do it. And and this the only we're kind of at the mercy of social media where you're kind of relying on it, even though it's not the greatest platform to do it. So that, that hitting a like button goes a very, very long way in helping people get their message out. Anthony, this area gets a bad rap sometimes, but I'll tell you when some kind of negative tragedy, whatever you want people to call it. People band together. People band together and, and they come out and they support. And, and I think that's very complimentary of Schuylkill County and generally the Northeast area by itself. Yeah, I, this, this uh, for a, fair, a few times I was like, man, I think I need to branch out this podcast outside of the area because the support wasn't there and I wasn't getting a lot of people who were supporting. But 
it's hard for me to branch out and do that. Like I still do it every now and then. I'll interview somebody from across the world uh, via the internet because we have the, the technology to do so. Yes. But I'm very proud of where I come from, and, and there's a reason why I'm still here. And, and I want to get capture these moments and stories and talk to musicians and artists and business owners and people who have experienced things. You know, I don't want to cash in on tragedy, but sometimes those stories, like we're t we talked about today, could be eye-opening and help somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll do it for interviews with everyday people. Anthony Blackwell, Bobby Mushrine. Thank, Thank you, you again. We'll see you next time. Thank you. We're out of here.